0: Actually, my story becomes more beautiful as I enter into what God is already doing. That's God's heart, is to bring all things back into oneness, and that's what prayer does. And when we see those places where it isn't reigning and ruling, it's an invitation for God's kingdom to come into that space. Mine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Yes. come to him in prayer when we come to him and our hearts and minds become as one it's like this book can you see this book up here where everything is highlighted okay Jesus is coming to his people and I was like you're missing the point just like every word on here is highlighted you're missing the point when it becomes this complicated rote all of these words everything you're missing the heart of God It's kind of like today when, have you guys ever seen some sports teams who like before their games, they're like, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, the kingdom come. And, you know, like all of them together, they like rush through this prayer. I'm pretty sure they're not thinking about any of the words. But what they're thinking about is winning their game. Okay. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. The heart of prayer is to connect with me and for me to connect with you. And so this morning, as we go through the Lord's Prayer, you guys are going to know this. This is not something new. It's so familiar. Um, And the tendency with something that that's familiar is to kind of not think about it. But my heart today is for us to go through it section by section and to be able to pause and reflect and enter in in a, a time to connect with the Father, to begin to ask what's on his heart and for him to speak back to us. Um, So this will not be a thorough teaching, this will not be an exhaustive teaching, but guess what? I'm putting in a shameless plug. Okay, If you want more on the Lord's Prayer, come to spring break. You're going to get a whole week of it where we can dive in and really dig into what God's heart is. So we'd love to have you. So if you have no plans, please sign up. So, okay, if you guys have your Bibles, open them to Matthew 6. Um, You may not even need to open your Bibles because you're going to know this, but I'm going to read it anyways, starting in verse 9. It says, Jesus says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation But deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Okay, the first half of this prayer is all focused on God. Your name, your kingdom, your will. Okay, that's where it should start. It should all start with him. He is the center of the story. It's actually his story that's being told, and I'm invited into his story. It's not my story, and I invite him into it. Okay, but just because it's his story that's being told doesn't mean that mine is diminished. Actually, my story becomes more beautiful as I enter into what God is already doing. And so Jesus comes and he and he gives us this framework. He's not telling us what to pray, but he's showing us how to pray. Start with him, start with the Father it's simple it's powerful it's certain and it has authority and that's how he wants us to pray and so our first section that we're going to dive into today is our father in heaven hallowed be your name and it's important to know that the words start with our father because it's all about relationship that's what makes christianity different from everything else in the world is it begins ends, it's through relationship, it's all about relationship, and it starts with our Father, who is a good Father, who provides for us, who protects us, who chooses us to be a part of His family. It's so important that that's where we begin from. But I know that Father isn't always a safe word for some people. I know that that's often a loaded word, and it can come through bad experience of what you've walked through here on earth. But does Jesus feel safe? Or does the Spirit feel safe? Which member of the Trinity do you feel most comfortable with? Start there. Start there. And they will gently lead you back to the Father. Jesus goes on and he says, Who is in heaven? Let us never forget that that doesn't mean God is far removed from us. It's not what that's saying at all. The exact opposite is true. Jesus came and made his home among us. And not only that, but he left his spirit to make his home in us. So God in heaven is not far removed, but it's talking more about the authority and power that he carries. And we need to remember that. We need to know that when we pray to our father, he has all authority and all power. And so we can come to him in confidence. And then he says, hallowed be your name. Our top priority is in building God's name up, not our own. Hallowing his name just means giving him the honor he deserves. The reverence, the awe that he deserves. His goodness, his love, his lavishness, this is what he's after. He, he could command, he could demand anything because he has all authority and power, but he doesn't demand anything. Instead, he invites. He says, come, follow me, come, meet with me. And so all of you on your chairs this morning had a piece of paper And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to take this section by section. We're going to take time to talk about it and then reflect. Because the point is meeting with God. There's no use in me sitting up here talking about prayer and then us not praying. That would be missing the point. Okay? So, as you begin, take a couple minutes now. Sit and reflect on our Father in heaven. How would be your name? ask God what he wants to say, what he wants to speak into. Is it about his fatherhood? Is it about his authority and power? Is it about giving thanks for who he is? Your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven your kingdom God the reign and rule of God it's literally the best news that there is the kingdom of God is good news the kingdom of God looks like love joy peace patience kindness goodness gentleness faithfulness self-control peace flourishing abundance, wholeness. Is that not good news? That's great news. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. His kingdom was ushered in through his son. His kingdom changes things. His kingdom brings life. Another staff member and I got to pray with a student this week. And as this student walked in, They were heavy and burdened and literally almost like carrying this picture of a rock. And as we began to pray with the student, the student left full of joy, hands held high. Because we began to ask God to speak, and he did. And so I got to witness healing and truth. And I got to witness freedom. All we did was provide a space for God to come and meet and speak and do his thing. And he did his thing. He showed up. And we just joined in where God was at work. And the student didn't need to try harder. He didn't need to do more things. But God's kingdom came and broke through. And this student's life is forever changed. This is what we pray. This is what we ask for. This is like my favorite prayer, especially when I don't know what to pray. I'm like, God, would your kingdom come? And would your will be done? Because oftentimes I can see where his kingdom isn't reigning and it isn't ruling. And when we see those places where it isn't reigning and ruling, it's an invitation for God's kingdom to come into that space where we see hate instead of love. We see fracturedness instead of reconciliation. When we see injustice instead of justice or selfishness instead of generosity. I think the world needs us to pray this. I think the world needs to see God's kingdom breaking in and coming. Okay, and Jesus says, pray that it would be on earth as it is in heaven. God's heart from the beginning was to reconcile, was to bring those two things back. What started in the garden as one was fractured. And God said, no, that's not my heart. I want heaven and earth to be one. And so 2 Corinthians talks about us being agents of reconciliation. Ephesians talks about that God's heart is to bring all things back into oneness. And that's what prayer does. Prayer is an act of reconciliation, of bringing all of this back to one because we want God's kingdom to be present in the here and now. Because when it's present in the here and now, it's a foretaste of what's to come, and that brings hope, and that brings life. So take a couple minutes. Where do we need to see God's kingdom come? Where do we need to see heaven and earth joined back into one do you know people around you that god's they need god's kingdom begin to pray for them okay so take a couple minutes begin to reflect continues on and he says, give us this day our daily bread. And it's here that the prayer begins to shift from God-focused to our own needs. And it's not that neediness is a weakness. It's not that our needing him is a weakness. We were actually designed from the beginning of creation to need him. God designed it that way. It's not a curse that happened from the fall. Even Jesus said that he can do nothing of his own, and we would never call him weak. We would never describe that of him. And so we remember that God loves to provide for us. He loves to walk with us. He's not mad or disappointed or frustrated when we need him, but it's a joy for him to provide for us. And so we ask him, Back in the Old Testament, when God's children were walking through the wilderness, there was literally bread from heaven that would come down. It was manna. And every day, God would supply the exact amount that they would need. And if the people would come and try to hoard it and save it for the next day, they would wake up and that bread would be rotten. And God was saying, trust me. Know that every day I will provide for you exactly what you need. You don't have to worry that tomorrow there won't be enough. I have all that you need. Jesus even comes to say in John 6, he calls himself, he says, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. Jesus says what you need is me. Anything that you could possibly ever need in your life, look to me. I will be the fulfillment of that. I will provide for you. And so um, it's just a reminder that it's him. It's Jesus that we need. There's an old song that's called Just Give Me Jesus. Just Give Me Jesus. I would sing it for you, but then it would be terrible. Um, But it really is true. All we need is him. Author Shauna Nyquist said this. She said, I think most of us long for those magical stretches of time where you can see clearly a long way into the distance, when you know what's coming and you feel ready and strong, bags packed with everything you need for the journey. But I think most of us spend most of our lives in the daily bread times, when you can't see your hand in front of your face, and your spiritual cabinets are empty of nourishment, and all you can hope for is enough bread and wisdom and perspective and support. For this day, here's to the daily bread days. If that's where you find yourself today, know that you're not alone. There are a lot of us here trusting that God will give just enough of what we need to make it to tomorrow. My mother-in-law gave me great advice. She said, never look at tomorrow on today's strength constantly like getting worried about tomorrow and it worries me and I feel anxious because I don't have the strength to tackle that because I'm not at that day yet it's like I'm borrowing trouble and so there's something so beautiful about being able to be fully present in the here and now we have to look back to be able to gain trust but God's saying be present with me in this moment trusting that what you need I will provide So, where do you need his daily bread? What is it that you need from him? What is it from Jesus himself that you need to make it each and every day? Go ahead and begin to reflect on that. Jesus continues on and he says forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and I'm going to lump in the last section that I read earlier with this too it says for if you forgive men when they sin against you your heavenly father will also forgive you but if you refuse to forgive others your father will not forgive your sins there's a story in Luke 7 that tells a tale of two people about a prostitute and a Pharisee. And this prostitute walks in to where Jesus is and she's overwhelmed by the forgiveness that Jesus extends to her. And she lavishes him with perfume and wipes his feet with her hair. And then you have this Pharisee over here who is perturbed, annoyed, and only sees the sins of others and doesn't recognize his own callousness, his own heart condition, And so do we often sit and ponder God's forgiveness towards us, what it cost him to take all that I have done upon his very own body to deal with it once and for all? Am I like the prostitute when I think of that, that that leads me into worship? Or am I like the Pharisee and all I can begin to see is, What other people are doing wrong. His gift was so gracious. The magnitude of it is so immensely huge. Do I examine my heart at times to see if there's anything that's a barrier between him and I? Forgiveness is the way of the kingdom, but it's not easy. And so he tells us that we are also, as we forgive our debtors. And sometimes there are massive, massive things that we have to walk in forgiveness towards others. There are massive hurts. And so forgiveness is often a process. It's not something that happens one and done. Sometimes I think we want to rush through forgiveness so then I don't have to think about it anymore. I can just forgive and forget and move on. And God said, no, the point of it is to walk in it with me. I want to walk with you in this. The word here that Jesus uses is debtors. And we could translate that as something that is owed to us. Okay, We think we are owed something. I think sometimes it's easy to see the big things, the big hurts. It's not easy to always forgive, but I think it's easy to see those I think it's often harder to recognize the smaller ways maybe in which we're offended or the ways in which we think we're owed because we judge ourselves by our intentions, but we judge others by their actions. And so a few weeks ago, we had um, a retreat at our house, and we had like seven people from Ohio that came and stayed with us. And it was great, and it was good, and I really loved it, but it was a lot of work. There were bodies strewn all over my house. Um, I didn't have a bed anymore. I slept on a couch for the whole weekend. Uh, That meant I had to cook for like 14 people like the whole weekend and I don't love cooking and that's not my favorite thing to do. And so by the end of it, I was tired. I was looking for a space where I could just go be by myself because I needed just a moment and I didn't have one. So I literally laid on the couch with a pillow over my head because I was like, I need space by myself. And so I was tired and worn out and felt like I had served like the whole weekend. And so the next morning, it's Sunday. And all things should go well and they sometimes never do and I go to get my daughter up out of bed and I I come in there and I let her sleep a little bit longer um, which meant then we had to hurry to get to church and so I walk in and And, like, literally, I've been serving and giving all weekend, so I'm, like, okay, the least she can do is, like, get up and get ready on time. So I walk in, turn on her light, and she gets, like, super grumpy at me because she doesn't love her light being turned on, like, right away. And so she's getting mad that I'm, like, rushing her, and I'm, like, Kaylin, Kaylin, we got to get to church. Like, I'm meeting someone. We got to get there on time, and she's like disappointed that I'm all up in her business and I'm being a mom and not letting her sleep and I'm getting frustrated because I'm like oh my word like come on all I need you to do is be on time and let's get there and so it's kind of just building to the point where like I felt like in my heart I had done all of this all weekend like you owe me an easy morning to get to church on time it's like stupid and silly but literally these are the things happening in my head so we're going to church, and I'm coming to church with, like, a really bad attitude, I'm not going to lie. Not in any frame of mind to be, like, worshiping Jesus. And my son notices this. And my daughter's also not in a great space because all I'm doing is hounding her. And so my son begins to lead us in this process of forgiveness in the car. And he's like, okay, Mom, you need to tell Kaylin what you're sorry for. And I'm like, oh like grudgingly telling her these, I mean, this is stupid, silly stuff, but there was something in me that was like, I want to hold on to this, you know, and so I got to tell her what I was sorry for, and, and then she got to tell, her, tell me what she was sorry for, and it actually was a really sweet picture and gave me a lot of hope for my children when I, like, saw my son walking us through forgiveness. Um, but we do that, don't we, sometimes? We feel like we're owed certain things, and, and our hearts kind of get hard, And unfortunately, I do that with God, too. Sometimes I feel like when I obey him and the outcome is different than what I expected, I become disillusioned or disappointed or even hurt. Because in my mind, like, if I obey, it should go well with me. And then when it doesn't, there's that part of me that's like, ugh. And so I have to work through some of that disappointment and frustration Because if we don't deal with the small offenses, they become big. And they turn into bitterness and resentment. And Jesus begins to tell a story in Matthew 18 about this man who owed a large sum of money and this large sum of money was actually forgiven and there's no way he could have paid for it. But after his large sum of money was forgiven, he went to somebody that owed him money and it was not very much money at all and they couldn't pay it. And this man got mad and ticked off and threw him in jail. And the whole point of, well, and then the guy that did all of that, like Jesus came back and was like, Aah! like you're missing the whole point. And the whole point was that Jesus was telling this story because this man never understood what forgiveness was. He never understood God's heart because he was unwilling to pass on what was so freely given to him. N.T. Wright describes forgiveness as breathing in and out air. And he says, if I only take in God's forgiveness of me in the form of a breath, I will eventually suffocate for holding it in instead of breathing out forgiveness to others. Jesus is inviting us, breathe in my forgiveness, breathe out forgiveness to others. So take your paper, if you flip it over, there's a space on the back. Ask God, search me, oh God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. See if there's anything you need to repent of. Are you holding on to offense? Do you feel like you're owed something? Begin to process that with God. Jesus leads us into the last section, and he says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And John Stott paraphrased it like this. He says, Do not allow us so to be led into temptation that it overwhelms us, but rescue us from the evil one. We remember in the book of James that he talks about God does not tempt us, God could never be tempted by evil, okay? But 1 Corinthians also talks about when we are tempted, God will provide a way, a path, a way to be delivered from the temptation that's trying to ensnare us. And so we think back to the, to the Israelites as they were coming to the Red Sea, and they had they were fleeing from Egypt, fleeing for their lives, really, and this army was fast approaching and they bump up to the sea and it's at the sea that god provides their deliverance but our deliverance will often take a step of faith for us to walk into it okay god didn't come along with like a magic fairy bubble and like scoop up the israelites and like carry them across the sea like sometimes i think that's what we think deliverance looks like But deliverance often is us taking this step of faith. Those Israelites were scared out of their mind when they were walking through that dry sea. You can't tell me they weren't. Okay? But God will provide a way, but it often requires a step of faith for us to walk into it. Okay? So, where is his deliverance at? Where is he providing a way? He doesn't leave us as orphans to figure out on our own, but he sends us his spirit to walk with us daily. And so as communion comes in and they begin to pass it out, begin to ask God, where do you need delivering from? Are there places of temptation for you? And has his form of deliverance come to you, but you need a step of faith to begin to walk into it? this should just be the beginning our hope is that as you leave today as you go forth this week that you will continue this conversation with Jesus that what maybe he began to stir in you today was just a beginning that you would come and hear his heart meet with him know his voice let him see what's on your heart because it matters to him and so what I'd like to do as we end today is, could we corporately, all together, just pray out loud the Lord's Prayer? Um, some of us have learned trespasses, but maybe we could say, instead of forgive us our trespasses, we could do debtors. Okay, do all that. But So if you guys will just join me together, um, let's, let's pray this, all right? Okay. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Yes! Go oh, to grace, how Dearly, to